Hey, Molly, I have to tell you about this dream I had last night. I'm pretty sure I saw the future. I thought I was the woo-woo West Coaster. What's happening over there in Alexandria, Virginia? Well, I have three daughters under the age of seven, so I haven't slept for seven years. But just go with me on this. I want to take you on a little thought journey. Imagine waking up one morning in 2035. Your alarm clock goes off. Your Tesla smart home begins automatically brewing you a pot of coffee. You walk outside your front door. Your foot touches the pavement. It hits a sensor. Suddenly, a car whizzes up in front of you. The door opens and you look inside. There's no driver. It kind of looks like a limousine designed by Apple or Ikea. You know, actually kind of cool. How did you use to drive yourself to work? What are you going to do with all of this free time? Sadly, today, you have to draft an email to your boss before 9 a.m. So you open up your virtual tablet and you get to work. Oddly, it's kind of a bumpy ride today. It's jerking left, jerking right. You start feeling really sick. Is the software not getting updated? What's the deal? You reach for your pills from your pocket that you take for nausea, but you forgot them today. Damn it. You get nervous. Your heart starts pounding. Your head starts hurting. And suddenly, you just can't hold back any longer, and you vomit all over the floor of the car. Oh, Jim, that's gross. Molly, I'm just describing the future. You know, people are always talking about autonomous vehicles' world-changing impacts. Safer roads, more productive commutes, the total elimination of road rage. But they don't talk about how they'll affect our stomachs or a whole lot of other weird and potentially wild implications. Okay, that's fine. But I'm more worried about urban sprawl, obesity, the death of public transit. You know, the important stuff, Jim. What's going to happen to city life when the rubber hits the road? Vomit is more important to the future of AVs than you realize. And I think I can convince you of that. Today on Technopolis, strap on your seatbelts. We're speeding into the future of AVs and how they'll reshape our cities. So stay with us. Welcome back to Technopolis, where technology is disrupting, remaking, and sometimes overrunning our cities. I'm Molly Turner, an urban planner who is Airbnb's first head of public policy, and now I teach urban innovation at the Berkeley Haas School of Business. And I'm Jim Capsis. I was a climate negotiator in the Obama administration, and now I advise tech startups. We'll be asking the questions no one else is so that Silicon Valley and City Hall can make sure tech solves more problems than it creates. Today, we're going to talk about AVs, autonomous vehicles. We'll be talking with Nan Ransahoff of Neuro, an AV startup, and Jeff Tumlin of Nelson Nygaard, a transportation consulting firm. I'm super excited about the possibilities, but let's not forget my point about how important vomit was to AVs. Ugh, God. I'm pretty sure the tech challenges of creating a safe, comfortable, and sick-free experience may mean that my first ride in an AV will be further in the future than some in Silicon Valley would have me believe. Are they not as close to deploying as they say they are? No, it's that I'm not going to be the first passenger. It's going to be my groceries. Huh. That's at least what head of product for Neuro is betting. Let's talk to her to find out when autonomous vehicles will bring home the bacon. Can you tell me, like, if I'm a customer and I order groceries through the Neuro app, what's my experience like? What happens? Right now, we're running a pilot with Kroger. You would go onto the Kroger website, order your groceries similar like you would with kind of any other app. Uh, Neuro's vehicle will go to Kroger, pick up the goods, and the vehicle will leave, come to your house. We'll send you a link where you can track the vehicle um, on a map. 
You'll get an just access, like Uber. Just like Uber. You'll get an access code. You'll tap it into the little screen on the vehicle. It'll open up and you'll have your goods inside. And this is an unmanned vehicle. It's a robot. It's completely unmanned, right? So, Nan, what happens if I go out to the curb, the door opens, and inside my milk container has spilled and there's milk all over the inside of the vehicle? Okay, I'm bummed because I lost my milk, but you've got an unmanned car with milk all over it. What do you do with that? Even though it's unmanned at that moment, There's a lot of maintenance and operations that have to happen in order to keep these vehicles in tip-top shape for customers and for deliveries. So there's everything from fleet management. There's everything from where do they sleep at night, right? They're not pulling into people's driveways. Where do they sleep at night, Nance? What's the plan right now? So there are a lot of different models that I think we're we're considering. One of the benefits of, of partnering with a large retailer like Kroger is that they have parking lots that are full during the day and they're empty at night. Hmm. So how can we use this space that's already available in the city that is underutilized at the times when we need it most? Are you making a bet that delivery is going to you know, happen before cars are actually picking up people? Yes. Goods is an interesting first application for a few reasons. The first reason is really that goods don't care if they're inconvenienced while people do. If we have to take a slightly slower route because it is easier for our tech— Groceries don't care if they go out of the way a little bit. People do. I used to work on Uber Pool. Pe- people certainly care. The second piece is that passenger comfort is actually a really hard problem in self-driving. Again, groceries don't care. The other reason why we're excited about goods is from an acceptance perspective. So my grandma probably would feel a little bit nervous about getting inside of a self-driving vehicle, but she's comfortable ordering from one. So again, all of these things kind of add up to a way to start bringing the benefits of self-driving to people as quickly as possible. And we think that that can happen well ahead of passenger. Grocery delivery is the gateway drug to autonomy. I like that. We'll start using that. (laughs) When starting the company, it started by robotics experts, and they wanted to make robots useful immediately, not 10 or 15 years from now. Was there another idea they had other than autonomous errand delivery vehicles? That's a great question. Um, The underlying tech can apply to a lot of different solutions and problems, and they considered a bunch of different applications. When they picked local goods transportation, they really did it from the perspective of how do we make sure that this technology can impact Internally, the metric is 100 million people in the next three to five years. That is the goal, and this was the the application that really jumped out to us. What do you see as the biggest challenge as you're deploying autonomous vehicles around the world? You know, candidly, I think the biggest challenge will continue to be maturing the software, right? Nobody has solved this problem at scale yet, period. Everybody is working to make this a reality, but we have nobody's figured it out yet. And the only way to improve it is to deploy it, right? I mean, machine learning requires the vehicles being out there in the real world, experiencing things and learning from it. Yeah, exactly. A pedestrian, when they're walking across the street, might look at a car and try to make eye contact with the driver to acknowledge that, hey, this driver sees me and knows that I'm there. How does that work with autonomous vehicles, right? I got to think it'd be confusing, too, because you could have different companies have different approaches, right? I mean, that's actually an interesting question from like a regulatory perspective. Eventually, you know, will the government come in and say, this is the way these companies should actually communicate with pedestrians? Focus groups and research and surveys, they don't get you all the way there. We need to see this out in the real world to, to actually understand, are these solutions solving the problem that we want them to solve? So tell me about, like, does neuro work the same way in cities as it does suburbs? Are you focused on one kind of 
density model? That is an excellent question. Um, A lot of AV companies are focusing first on cities. We're actually focusing first on suburbs. Self-driving is really hard, right? Nobody has cracked this problem yet at scale. There are certain geographies that are easier for the tech. And do you have to design the product differently for cities when, when you get there than, than what you're able to do today for suburbs? Do you have to like fundamentally change what you're doing? So we hope we've designed a product that, that works for both cities and suburbs. But, you know, part of the challenge with autonomy is that we have to see, right? We, we, we have to get out on the road and, and, and experiment and see what works and what doesn't. So now looking 10 years out, how different do you think cities and suburbs may be because of a company like Neuro? Like what impact do you hope you will have 10 years from now? So we hope that folks don't have to go to the store and run errands for themselves anymore if they don't want to. This applies to things like food deserts, which are a really real problem in a lot of cities and a lot of suburbs. People can't walk to get fresh food. I think the second piece is really around how we use the space in our cities. We have a lot of space right now dedicated to parking lots. We have a lot of space right now dedicated to retail stores. I think that that's going to change. When you don't need to go and get goods yourself from somewhere nearby, how else can we repurpose that space to to parks, to more affordable housing? So you're going to put parking lots and retailers out of business. Are those going to maybe go away uh, because we're now going to have, you know, big warehouses out in the suburbs that will then you know, be serviced with neuros? I don't think that all of that's going to go away, no. The consumption itself doesn't change. It's how you are getting those goods that changes. The superpower of autonomy is the ability to deliver things fast and cheap at the same time. But isn't there also a social cost to that speed that maybe we're not accounting for Tell here? Me more like about that. batching multiple deliveries together, just like maybe a train batching a lot of people together, yeah. uses the space more efficiently so you don't have a bunch of vehicles using the road at the same time. You have one vehicle with a lot of stuff in it. So isn't autonomy kind of doing the opposite? That's a good question. Let's think about what somebody would do without autonomy. In the suburbs, they're getting in the car and they're throwing their kids in the car and they're still going to the store. So it's a trip that's already happening, but it's a trip that is happening and costs a human their time. What's the craziest thing you think Neuro might deliver one day that we can't imagine right now? Right now, we're, we're kind of building this model where... We shuttle back and forth from store to house to store to house. But what if you instead put a bunch of items into the vehicle and you could tap a button to summon this vehicle and get what whatever you needed out a of it? A moving vending machine. A moving vending machine, exactly. Um, there are a lot of different models that I think we have yet to explore, right? The iPhone is 10 years old and nobody could have predicted all of the ways that the world would change and all the new businesses that would come as, as a result of that. We think it's the same with autonomous vehicles. Well, Nan, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, Nan, great having you. Thank you so much for having me. I think Neuro, if successful, is going to disrupt brick-and-mortar retail a lot more than Nan acknowledges. Just look at the impact Amazon has had already. Every city is having problems with empty storefronts these days. I worry my grocery store is going to go out of business. Sure, there might be some cost, Molly, but you've got to value the efficiency and convenience of it all. You might like going to the grocery store to meet your neighbors, but there was life before Whole Foods, and there will be life after it. With three kids, I'd rather the groceries come to me. Okay, I clearly can't argue with you now that you've dropped the parent bomb. (laughs) Sorry. okay, how are they going to teach AVs to drive in big, chaotic cities? 
you know, how to dodge pedestrians and delivery trucks and streetcars. By starting in the suburbs, do we end up just doubling down on planning cities around cars like it's the 1950s all over again? Well, they've got to start somewhere, Molly. I mean, you need to crawl before you walk. And to your point, wouldn't it be dangerous for the AVs, if not irresponsible, to start in cities given how complicated they are? All right. You know what? I'd really like to get a transportation expert's opinion about AVs in a human-centered world. Let's ask our next guest, Jeff Tumlin. Jeff's a partner at Nelson Nygaard, a transportation consulting firm. He also wrote a book on sustainable transportation planning. He has thought about this stuff a lot. When door-to-door autonomous mobility is ubiquitous, where you can call up your little Google pod to take you from your front door to anywhere you want to go, why would you ever walk again? And it would be very easy to design walking out of cities with autonomy. And that would have profound public health consequences, as detailed very accurately in the film (laughs) WALL-E. So we're going to go from being these sort of really lean, really active American population we are today to sort of an (laughs) overweight kind of sipping sodas out of our AVs in the future. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Jeff, I want to go back to this idea of walking. I mean, cars have already destroyed the experience of walking in a lot of cities around the world. Molly hates cars, by the way, (laughs) Jeff. You haven't figured that one out. Um, I mean, so cars have already kind of destroyed destroyed cities for us. I mean, what's going to be so different with AVs? (laughs) So on our current trajectory, particularly with the federal legislation that is pending um, and what is happening in state governments right now, uh, we will likely see um, increased criminalization of walking. If the vehicles automatically stop for any kid that bounces a ball into the street, right? How long is it going to take urban pedestrians on a rainy evening to realize, wait, what what am I doing standing here at the corner like an idiot waiting for the light to change? If I just step out into traffic, all vehicles will stop for me. So I don't know if you've ever been in in an urban place when the power went out for the traffic signals. Pedestrians just completely take over the street. And the same will be true with autonomous vehicles. And so right now at the technology conferences, right, the manufacturers are saying, well, we're going to really have to double down on pedestrian enforcement. And the only reasonable way to do that is automating pedestrian enforcement through facial recognition, which brings us straight to minority report. So wait, we're basically going to have to live in a surveillance state in order to keep pedestrians from getting in the way of autonomous vehicles? Well, that is one trajectory. And it's a trajectory I think we're currently on unless we find a way of making mobility work in cities. So the early jaywalking laws were put into place in order to allow cars to drive fast in cities. Uh, You got to get the pedestrians out of the way in order to be able to drive 40 miles an hour through a city. If we go back to the model of cities that existed from historical times up until 1920 um, and go back to about a 15 mile an hour city, then you can have safe mixing of different modes of transportation. Doesn't that defeat the whole purpose of autonomous vehicles then? If we slow them all down, aren't they supposed to speed us up? Well, so here's an interesting challenge with autonomous vehicles, right? They can offer 
more capacity and greater speed and greater safety in a in a freeway or rural highway environment they start getting a lot more complicated when you introduce them into urban places right they still can't figure out how to manage an urban stop sign controlled intersection because you know when you've got cars all arriving at the same time and lots of pedestrians you have to sort out right of way socially frankly i think that autonomous vehicles are going to need a face like oh like owen wilson from cars <laughs> right or at the very least tapping into the phenomenal power of the human brain to process eye contact and even process eye contact at a cartoon level to say uh, to have the vehicle be able to acknowledge yes i see you pedestrian and i'm going to wait for you to cross the street that just seems like the antithesis of the way an engineer would solve a problem like this. Is there is anyone who works at these AV, AV companies actually thinking about this smiley face idea? Not to my knowledge, because I don't think they have any behavioral psychologists at these companies. And that is a big problem. It's super interesting, Jeff. You know, in a former life, I worked for a, a company called Opower, and it was a, we did basically applied behavioral science to help people conserve energy. It kind of surprises me that that you don't think the AV companies are thinking about that, because certainly other parts of corporate America have really begun integrating that type of approach into what they're doing. Well, I think there's there's one exception, which is the one to watch is Waymo. And it's largely because of Google's revenue model. 96% of Alphabet Google Waymo's revenue comes from advertising, right? So wait, why is an ad company the biggest investor in autonomous vehicle technology? The revenue model for the future of mobility has nothing to do with mobility. The revenue model is all about capturing the value of time of the occupants. So if you no longer need to pay attention to the road, um, then the car can be an office. It can be a bedroom. It can be a brothel. It can be a shoe store <laughs> that comes to you. Jeff, let's talk about the brothel for a second. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I'm, I'm kidding, sort of. We'll be getting back to the brothel in a minute. But are you suggesting that uh, maybe people will not care about congestion because they will be not driving they will be otherwise occupied, entertained, productive. But is that what you're suggesting? That's exactly right. Right. So we're all going to be like watching porn and uh, shopping. Right. Or um, maybe making porn. Right. Making porn, watching porn, and buying stuff. So if we actually don't want congestion because we want walkable streets, right, what can we do from policy perspective or technological perspective to get ahead of this dystopian future that you're painting and prevent that outcome from happening and actually ensure that AVs help improve city life don't, and don't make it worse. That's right. In order to avoid the nightmare scenarios, there's a bunch of things that we need to start doing right now. The starting place for that conversation is recognizing that AVs will be successful because they operate on the public right-of-way, on existing infrastructure. So we need to manage that public right-of-way for the public good. This means recognizing congestion is an economic problem that can only be solved through appropriate pricing. 
It means that we need good data protocols from the private sector so that cities have the data that they need in order to manage the system effectively. It means that we have to get really clear about equity because as we turn over our public streets to private operators, they're going to be chasing a profit and people will be left behind. And that's the job of municipalities to make sure that the private sector is rewarded for providing better choices to those who have the fewest choices. I don't know how optimistic I am that we're going to make all of those tough decisions. Do you think we can make those tough decisions, Jeff? (laughs) I am both deeply optimistic and deeply pessimistic at the same time. Um, I know that one of the things that we are all going to have to do is to tell better stories. I contrast images like the movie WALL-E, which shows some of the downsides of autonomous vehicle technology, with the film Black Panther that also has autonomous vehicles, but where mobility is always joyous and where mobility never comes at the expense of others. Right. It's a vision of the city of the future that is fully inclusive and where mobility is a part of that inclusiveness. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. This is fantastic. My pleasure. Okay, so now we don't just have to worry about puking in AVs or whether roving vending machines will decimate neighborhood businesses. Now we have to worry about roaming brothels. Yeah, Jeff really saw my vomit anecdote and raised it like a billion dollars. I also thought it was interesting that Jeff, like Nan, talked about how these companies need to figure out how the vehicles will communicate with pedestrians. He suggested smiley faces on cars. How is that going to work? I don't know. Doesn't that also require a bunch of cameras and then just more surveillance? Jeff did point out some of the scary scenarios to imagine for the future of AVs. But there are some also some exciting opportunities, like, you know, reducing the number of deaths caused by car accidents. And cameras inside vehicles may actually help keep passengers safe. So what's wrong with that? Okay, well, let's get into it after the break. Okay, Jim, it sounds like we can boil our possible AV futures down to four movies. Will it be a surveillance state like Minority Report, humanoid vehicles like cars, obese, lazy humans like Wally? or an inclusive, human-centered tech like Wakanda and Black Panther? Uh, well, obviously, Molly, the golden city in Wakanda is the best option. It's a place where, as Jeff suggests, transportation is inclusive of many modes. Pedestrians mingle on the streets with reimagined tech-powered bicycles and light rail. Remember, you and I heard the production designer of Black Panther, Hannah Beachler, speak a few months ago at a conference. Hannah talked about how she came up with that vision for the Golden City in Wakanda. That was so cool. She prioritized people over technology. I love that. I don't think we hear that enough. People over technology. Yeah, I, I do think, Molly, that one of the big risks of AVs is does seem to be that we'll redesign our city streets to accommodate all these new vehicles, and we'll leave out the other ways, like bicycles or scooters, that people might use to get around. Yeah, and we've done that before. I mean, 100 years ago, we introduced the first version of cars to city streets, and we took away space from pedestrians and cyclists and horses who all shared those streets. And look what we've 
ended up with since then. Long commutes, horrible traffic, urban sprawl, an obesity epidemic, and cars as one of the leading killers of people. Molly, there you go again with your, you know, car hating coming out. I think we have to be realistic. A lot of people like their cars. They like the freedom and the door-to-door convenience. So I think autonomous vehicles are inevitable. The question we should be asking is how do we deploy autonomous vehicles in a way that avoids Jeff's nightmare scenarios? I'm worried we won't have the answer to that question until it's too late. As Nan said, we can't really predict what the impacts of AVs will be until they've been deployed at scale. I mean, that's why I love how Jeff uses movies to help us imagine what the future could look like, for good or for bad. So if we want to have a productive conversation about what future city we want, movies are a great way to facilitate that. And I feel like tech companies could really benefit from better storytelling. Is a future of roving vending machines really that compelling of a story? I'm not sure I want to live in that movie. It's just one example of a future scenario. But I agree that tech companies can do a better job imagining a wider range of possible futures. Sometimes they're so focused on their missions to change the world, but what about the ways they may unintentionally harm the world? And what problem is their technology solving in the first place? If Neuro's mission is to bring the benefits of robotics to people as soon as possible, that sounds to me like technology in search of a problem. It's the tail wagging the dog. It doesn't matter if the tail wags the dog if it's helping somebody. Imagine you're sick at home and now your pharmacy could literally come to you via Neuropod. I mean, don't we all hate going to the pharmacy when we're sick? I do. And if you're a senior citizen who can't drive, it's even more game-changing. I just want to be able to walk down the street without getting hit by a car. Molly, if it's really your concern, you're much less likely to get hit by an AV than a human driver, despite some of the wild headlines. But I agree, AVs aren't going to be all good or all bad. We'll have to deal with more surveillance and probably more advertising, a little bit of the self-indulgent, convenient state of Wally, and hopefully a bit more of the human-centered utopia of Wakanda. Don't forget Minority Report. Not only will we have their surveillance state, we'll also have their flying cars. Oh, give me a break. Flying cars? Yeah, Uber Aviation says air taxis by 2023. Well, I hope those flying cars are more like Back to the Future. That's one movie I totally live in. That's it for this episode of Technopolis. We'll be back next week to explore what happens when tech shows up in your neighborhood without an invitation. To ask for permission or to beg for forgiveness, that is the question for urban tech founders. (laughs) All right, Hamlet. And in the meantime, Technopoloi, remember, you can always go to citylab.com for top-notch reporting on AVs and all the topics we discuss here on the show. And until next week, I'm Jim Capsis. And I'm Molly Turner. Nicole Fladow is the CityLab editor and our trusty captain. And thanks to the whole CityLab staff for their helpful feedback. Virginia Laura is our associate producer. Lizzie Jacobs is our executive producer. Josh Rogazin engineered the episode. Big thanks to Stephen Lacey for significant production work on this episode. Our theme music is by Copilot. Remember to subscribe to Technopolis on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And tell a friend. 